Welcome back to another edition of the Edge Podcast. Publisher Brendan Slaughter here for BeaversEdge.com. Joined by Beaver's Edge writer and KGO radio host TJ Matthewson. It's a happy Thanksgiving week to you guys. We're coming to you on Wednesday before Thanksgiving. We'll go ahead and be posting this podcast Wednesday afternoon to uh, get ready for the holiday weekend and Oregon State's matchup with the Oregon Ducks at Autzen Stadium on Friday night. But before that, we're going to be talking uh, Oregon State's narrow loss to Washington and a good day for the podcast, TJ, because we got a lot to talk about and some perhaps disheartening news to start with a lot of Jonathan Smith news kind of bubbling and perkling up to the surface here in the last really 48, 72 hours. Just to kind of recap for you guys. So we had heard at beaversedge.com via our sister site, Spartan Rivals, which is Michigan State's rival site. They've been at the forefront of this coaching search uh, for the Spartans and have, you know, relayed some really good information to us. And, you know, TJ Dillon had put on the board ahead of that game against Washington that, hey, Michigan State's narrowing things down and these are the candidates they're looking at. And it was looking like Smith was kind of their favorite candidate. Then we get some reports this week uh, that Jonathan is their top candidate. We also see Jonathan uh, go on local radio show with John Canzano and kind of offer some uh, cringy comments. Yeah, cringy comments, just to kind of put it in a word, uh, a very weird comments. And then, um, again, Jonathan's sense of humor is kind of funny. If you go back and listen to that particular, uh, it's like he's trying to play at humor while trying to be transparent. It's a it definitely was a bit of an odd thing. And then, you know, last but not least, you know, Oregon State's got a game against Oregon this week, TJ. So just a crazy bit of information coming in this week and arguably not great information if you're an Oregon State fan, rather disheartening. Where where do you stand with all this as it comes to this final week of the regular season? And then ultimately – this weekend's probably going to dictate some big time decisions. As a neutral third party, I'll say I I, I thought it was great for content this morning. I had to host the the Joe Beaver show today on 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 KEJO here in Corvallis. It gave us it carried us through the whole show. This, yeah. this, this one subject and it is it's fascinating to look at, Brendan, because if you listen closely to how that sound clip was portrayed by Jonathan and John Canzano. It's not saying anything really, but it's not saying for certain he is he's here either. Because right, Canzano asked him, "So have you been interviewing elsewhere?" He didn't answer the question. The, flat right. out did not answer the question. And there was uh, spe- the the first question by John. I forget the exact line of questioning. But Jonathan Smith uh, didn't say anything about Corvallis in the future. He said on staying ready for this game. That's it. That, that's all he said. He never never said anything about right. staying here forever. He did, he did not say that. This is how Jonathan speaks. This is how it's, the process is. But some fans want to hear him say, no, I'm not interested in going anywhere else. I like it here in Corvallis. I would like to stay. I think people, some people want to hear that because it reassures sure. them a little bit. Coaches have said that before and left and, you know, lied through their teeth. Who knows? Like Dan Lanning was asked the same question last week, and he gave a very thoughtful, long answer of why he wants to stay in Eugene. Sure. He could totally be lying. He could, if the Texas A&M job offers him $15 million a year, he's like, actually, so what? See ya. Like, they're offering me $15 million. 
I'm going to go all that. The rest of that's out the, out the door. I just thought that some of the messaging coming from Jonathan's side is not as reassuring as you would want as, right. as a fan. It, it's not that reassuring. It's very robotic. It's very, we're just focused on this week, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, well, the, the fans know you're focused on this week, but what about everything else? What about everything else? What about the what right. next year brings and the recruiting and the schedule and all that stuff? You know, this is a, a guy like in Jonathan Smith who's going to have to sell his players on staying in this program starting next week. Next right. week, the pitch to his current roster of why Oregon State, despite not having a, a power conference home next season, is the place they should continue to play their college football. And if his name is getting thrown around all these places and and there's no straight answers on interest for Michigan State or interest for another job that can potentially pop open, it's like the the, the players read all this stuff. They, they're not certain right. either. And then right. that could lead to a whole lot of chaos once the portal opens on the fourth. I'll also say this. There's also um, questions on like interesting, different messaging from both sides on – the importance of this game on Friday, and as well as the the continuation of this rivalry game going forward, it's very different, you know, very different things from both sides. That I, I mean, I've definitely noticed this week. If you go back and listen to the press conferences, listen to the both coaches talk about name thrown around for speculation, the importance of this game on Friday, sure. and the continuation of the series in the future. Those three things. Listen to the difference of those two, and. Draw your own conclusion because they're definitely they're very different of the way they are voiced on both sides of this. Man, what a what a morning it's been! I, it, right before Thanksgiving, I was expecting a bit of a slower news week this week, but that's not been the case, Brendan. Yeah, no, it's been an abs- it's been an absolute uh, you know SpongeBob with the you know houses on fire running around like complete chaos. Like it's it is um, not the kind of distraction you would want during your rivalry week, and not to mention. Uh, you met, you alluded to the fact that next week Jonathan's going to be pitching the players. He talked about that on Monday, specifically as something that's going to happen this next Monday. Uh, so that's obviously a huge, important factor in all this. And then uh, in a very, hey, send in the fire department to put out the fire uh, a couple hours ago from Scott Barnes, Oregon State Athletic Director, which I knew a statement like this was going to be coming after the way that the John Canzano uh, radio show comments were interpreted by the fan base and kind of thrown like wildfire on social media, we talked about it on our radio show this morning. And good little tease there is my you know, host of Rip City Mornings, Justin Myers, will be joining us later in the podcast to talk a little Oregon Ducks and preview uh, Friday's matchup. So we'll get back to the gridiron and on the field here soon, TJ. But let's go ahead and read this statement from Scott Barnes. This was after... Football Scoop had reported that Michigan State uh, had identified Jonathan Smith as their number one candidate. Going back to our reporting from last week, TJ, we had also mentioned that heading into that game against Washington, Jonathan Smith had already conducted a virtual interview with Michigan State and was scheduled to do a second. Whether or not that second has happened, hard to say, but based on the timeline of how things are speeding up, I think it's certainly possible um, I'm not. I'm, and, I'm, let me cut you. Off, let me cut you off here, Brendan. Just on that exact moment, we did have a texter text in who was listening to Sirius XM Pac-12 this morning, and said something along the lines that he did. I, I did try getting down to the root of the source. It didn't sound ultra reliable, mm, but somebody mm. said on Sirius XM Pac-12 this morning it was noted at. 
I'll see. Yeah. So I would say, again, based on what we were able to report last week, that line of thinking sounds plausible, especially with this heating up again. And even if mm-hmm. you're looking at this from the positive Bieber fan perspective, which I don't think is completely out of it, nothing's nothing's decided. But if you were positively looking at it, you'd go, well, his agent has conducted several interviews. If his agent was trying to make a power play for Oregon State to pay more and bring together a larger assistant coaching pool, this would be the method to do it. So, again, bit bold, but it's a business, right? And college football is a business, and we've all learned that, you know, kind of the hard way these last couple of years. But let's go ahead and read uh, this statement from Scott Barnes, Oregon State Athletic Director. Uh, Coach Smith and I have had ongoing conversations for more than a month regarding his future at Oregon State and our path forward for football specifically and our athletic department generally. He has embraced our short and long-term plans. My number one priority is providing him with a new contract and guaranteed compensation that will help continue the success of the football program that has benefited Oregon State University and Beavers Athletics. Coach Smith and I have also discussed our commitment to extending assistant coaches' contracts and increasing the salary pool for his staff to retain the continuity of what they've built together for Beaver Nation. So, again, TJ, stripping that down, to me, when I saw that, it was a well-timed and very necessary statement. Sure. But, but at the same token, there wasn't a little extra quote below there from Coach Smith saying, I'm 100% committed to Oregon State University. Correct. Okay, that's a good note because I, I honestly wasn't. So when I read that on the radio this morning, I, that was not something I had on my mind. So good of you right, of, of, of Right, and that. that's because I've I, there have been many Pac-12-related, um, you know, press releases that like, like when Colorado left, like when, um, you know, Oregon and Washington left, where Oregon State sends out these blanket statements and it'd be, Here's one from Jatai Murthy, the president. Here's one from Scott Barnes. Here's one from Jonathan Smith. So, again, the fact that there wasn't one was a bit, you know, not concerning, but just interesting. And then, you know, as I read this, TJ, if you're an Oregon, like if you're Oregon State, you've got to take this as like, you know, to quote Michael Scott, threat level midnight. And you've you've got to do whatever you can to put together a new contract and a new assistant coaches pool like ASAP. So let's check some boxes right now. What needs to like happen over the next two weeks before the portal opens? Ready? Okay. So the way this is, this week has all gone in terms of leverage to sell both your coaching staff, your head coach and your players on coming back to this school next season. In the next two weeks, you need a schedule. You need an athletic budget. You need an increase in coach's salary, and you probably need more help in NIL than you have. Because if we thought the Sharks were out last year for Oregon State's oh, roster yeah. and, and the lack of NIL, I mean, there is so much more, more opportunity now for them to say, you guys don't have a power conference home. You don't even know if you're going to be on television. Well, why don't we pay you more money to come to our program? You're going to play on network television. You're going to play right. big games, compete for national championships, and you'll you'll significantly increase your NFL profile all in the next two weeks before the portal opens, all that, that stuff needs to get sold to all those facets. Like, does that not, that makes you got to make you feel nervous as hell of what needs to get done in these next two weeks for you to feel any sort of confident, because if those things aren't all out there by December 4th, what's going to stop that from everything else from happening? 
Well, the good news is for Oregon State is that, you know, when something you talked about, you said you mentioned on your radio show, uh, Damian Martinez. That's obviously a really good starting point for Oregon State. And the fact that, you know, he is leaning towards wanting to come back at this particular moment. Okay, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I think you and I were on the same page this morning when I was reading that. Like, I see lots of tweets saying, oh, he's back. I'm like, no, he says he wants to come back. Not that he will come back, that he wants to. And I just want to, one, I clarified this on the radio show this morning. And it's like not trying to interpret the words of of Damien, not trying to put words in Damien's mouth. This is what he said. He did not guarantee he's back next season. Not, Not in any way. He says he likes it here. He said he really likes it here. He loves playing football here. He loves the coaching staff, but he did not stone cold guarantee I will be in a beaver uniform in 2024. He did not do that. That's not what that article by Joe Freeman said. Right. No, I just, I think that that it's where one, where one stays, they all stay kind of a thing within, within reason. And you need someone like him or someone like DJ who has some, some pull and some weight. Um, You know, there are other guys too, like, you know, the ones that you may not think of, like Easton Mascarenas, right? Guys who could still be just sought after at new situations, right? More than just Dame or, you know, what have you. Maybe Oregon State has, you know, it could be open season on Oregon State's players. So you're absolutely right with the importance and the timing of all that. With that being said, though, TJ, obviously the calendar is different. The situations are different. But that's where Jonathan Smith is the steadying hand here. Because I think back to last year, everybody thought it was going to be a mass exodus for Oregon State's program. In the end, there really wasn't a whole lot of movement once that portal opened. The bowl game was early. It was before Christmas. The calendar was a bit different. But Oregon State had tremendous roster continuity and staff continuity from last year. Obviously, the only departure being um, A.J. Stewart out of the running back room. And that was pretty late in the coaching kind of cycle, so to speak. So... I think with all that, you know, this really comes down to Jonathan Smith making his decision this week, in my opinion. And then, TJ, we'll talk best case and worst. Best case scenario, Jonathan Smith decides to stay. I'm not worried about anything. I think it right. will all fall into fall into place. The scheduling sure. might be a little odd. Maybe there'll be a guy or two leave here. But Oregon State fans should know if Jonathan Smith is still coaching – they are in a good shape, a good spot. We'll have a, you know, a guiding light in this, un, you know, this dark future. Let's play the other way. Let's say Jonathan Smith does leave. TJ, in my mind, Oregon State has one option and one option only. And that is before he is taken with Jonathan Smith or taken elsewhere, Oregon State needs to double down. Make Trent Bray the head coach, hire it, put another alumni in that seat, put in someone else who, based on everything we've heard, TJ, was going to take a lot to draw him and his personality, even more so than Jonathan Smith. Even Jonathan Smith was never as brash as Trent Bray when he's like, I do not want to leave Corvallis. So that's where you double down on him, in my opinion, and, you know, for lack of better terms, you know, uh, I go back to it's worked out historically in college football in some situations and not. But in this case, TJ, you'd be hoping uh, that in this situation, Trent Bray could be your 
Kyle Whittingham when Urban Meyer left. You hope. I mean, you right? really, really do hope that that was the case. And that's the most optimistic way of oh, for sure. looking for at sure. this. It could go a whole lot worse, too. It, it, it could be. I mean, it because like we're just talking about the head coach here. How much does the roster, de- the roster and the rest of the coaching staff destabilize if Jonathan right. decides it's better right. for him to go to Michigan State? It like immensely. And we know like how good of a head coach Jonathan is. But the assistants are quite valuable. Jim Halchek, like we're oh. just going to start there. I mean, there might be not be a more valuable assistant coach in the country than Jim Mahalchek on the offensive line of what he's been able to do with the kind of guys he recruits and turn them into NFL offensive linemen. Yeah. So, like the 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 destabilization of the roster with Jonathan, even if you do get Trent Bray, I'm I'm not sure it's all sunshine and rainbows after that. If 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 that's the case. No, I think that would just be your that would be your in case of glass break for mm-hmm. emergency. And if that doesn't happen, because again, something I mentioned to you, TJ, before the we got on the podcast, if you're an up and coming young head coach, say coming off, let's let's just use like UNLV's guy, for example, right? I believe that's Barry Odom down there. Uh, don't quote me on that, but like UNLV's guy, pretty hot name, you know at the you know mountain west ish level started to win some games right could be looking to jump up to formerly power five tj what makes a coach want to walk into oregon state situation that isn't an alumni who has lived it understands it and loves it like to his bones that's where i'm saying i I, you you're probably right with like things won't still be perfect that's where in my opinion you don't have any choice you are in this Jonathan Smith alumni business right now. And I think you have to double down with that when you have um, someone that you have felt has been far greater than an Oregon state defensive coordinator for better part of a year. Mm-hmm. It's a good point. Um, you know, schedule for next year would help. That'd be a great start. There would, it would. <laughs> a, a promise of a budget, a guaranteed yeah. budget. If you can continue to say we can, not that we want to, we can operate at a power five level for the next at least two, hopefully three, four, five seasons at minimum. Right. Say we can operate at that level. That's a little bit easier of a sell because you're at least uh, you're at least able to hold water of where you are right now at mix in a couple more Mountain West games. But you'd be around the same level of money and schedule strength, et cetera, as you have been for the past years. Now, if you cannot promise that, I don't know. I, I don't know who you'd get. <laughs> I'm going to be quite honest. I'm, yeah, it, I, I, I don't envy people who are in the hiring position of that. I do not envy the, the, the fans who have to go through this and to see what two years ago was a burgeoning power five football program on the upswing. Now right. be reduced to this during one of the biggest, uh, a, a very, very big rivalry game coming up on Friday. Oh, it's huge. And you know, in this case, TJ, I'm starting to wonder if, uh, you know, you mentioned, you know, the support from the university, and I think that's still something that obviously can be had. The university is almost going to need to, um, you know, make a, a side investment into football as far as, like, you know, almost funding it like you're funding a class, TJ, if that makes sense, or a department, like, you know, for lack of better terms, like, let's fund money out of this into this department kind of a thing, and you right. know, with the exception with the exception of um you know getting Jensen Hoing 
from NVIDIA to become your Phil Knight, um, you know, they're <laughs> Oregon State's situation, you know, they, they, the money part is real, TJ. That's why they're it is. in that's why they're in court. And again, going back to your point on that, the fact that we're supposed to either have the case thrown out or heard and decided upon before December 5th is key. So even, you know, getting that appeal hearing and then uh, getting it moved up. And then from what I've heard, it's a, a chance whether it even gets heard or not for that particular uh, case. And even still, I've heard Oregon State and Washington State's chances are decent you know maybe still have a coin flip but decent probably better than 50 50 so like you said so many factors at play tj we've been talking for how long and we haven't even got into the rivalry game no or or the football game that just passed which so, was one of the more heartbreaking losses that i mean i'm sure you uh sure you uh, after saturday were were a little little down and talking to mike parker after and he said Frank, frankly, on our Monday show, that Sunday was one of the hardest days he's had as yeah. a Beaver announcer after what happened on Saturday and how deflating that is. And now all of this circus follows it. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 like you know, it's definitely been a disheartening week, you know, for Beaver fans. I mean, to have a game like that, and you know, TJ and I are going to dive into it too much. But again, Oregon State, you know, falls to Washington twenty two twenty in that matchup, and uh, you know. Keenan and I broke it down at beaversedge.com after the game, you know, pretty in-depth and in detail what we thought about that matchup. Um, but, you know, ultimately, I think there's a lot of ways. You know, TJ, I talked with you when I when you had me on uh, 1240 Joe Radio this week. Uh, you know, I think that it's easy to look at the safety and see that as the difference. Um, I think it's easy to look at, you know, Anthony Gould's fumble uh, that directly led to seven points. I think that's that's a look there. I think Oregon State's offense, you know, Scoring 20 points, regardless of the weather, that's not what we expected against that no. Husky defense. Um, I, so, as I say, I have that, I could I could point to one thing too. I mean, you mentioned some of the mistakes they made, but I, I'm I'm just going to simplify it a little bit more to something they did not have. Washington, when they needed it the most, the entire game, three crucial plays they had, all passes from Michael Penix to Romo Dunze, two touchdowns, yeah. and won the third down conversion at the end yes. of the game. The Beavers with all the weather, weather did not have a play like that in their playbook where they could dial up an explosive play like that to a dynamic playmaker down the field who will go down there and make a play for you. Washington had it three times, and that was frankly the difference. They could have stopped them on that final third down, gotten the ball back and chance out a miracle, and then two just remarkable throws and catches by Michael Penix and Romo Dunze in the first half, which were an enormous separator in the football game. But, like, going into the game, we knew, like, they had star power wide receiver. That wasn't anything new from Romo Dunze. He's going to be a first-round NFL draft pick. And I commend Oregon State and that really young secondary, TJ, when they had Andre Jordan out there. They had Jermaud McCoy out there. They had Jack Connay out there. You know, it it, it was a a bit of a duct-tape Oregon State secondary Mm -hmm. there by the end of it. And, you know, the fact that if you would have told me going into the game, you hold Jalen Polk without a catch – Jalen McMillan does not have a, a few. catch. <laughs> he dropped he did, a few. He dropped a few. But Jalen McMillan doesn't have a catch, and you hold Washington to 22 points. TJ, I would have had a hard time believing that's not an Oregon State victory. So mm-hmm. that part of it is definitely, you know, that's where I think, going back to what you said about Mike, that's where that 
that real like dishearteningness comes in because it, it really was right there. Not even so much like Washington State where like, hey, you knew right away. Washington State was just playing their best football of the year that game and Oregon State couldn't match it. And that was just one of those, hey, they had us that game, right? Arizona was, well, probably some coaching mistakes. Then this game, you could tell, TJ, the coaching game plan on both sides was perfect. The execution, however, was not. Was not. And you had Washington play arguably their worst game of the season, and it still yep. was not good enough to beat uh, them. Arizona and, State. And, Arizona State probably still. Yeah, okay, okay, far, sorry. Their second worst performance <laughs> of the season. And you still, even if I said second or third, or I would say in the bottom half, if yeah, Washington sure. played in the bottom half of their performances this season, Oregon State should win the football game. And they still didn't. And man, how at disheartening home. it was on Saturday at home on ABC and primetime and, and trying to just be like, we're here. We got this. Yep. And instead of a great season, Brendan, we're going to be sitting at the, uh, the Beavers are sitting at a good season and it's probably going to stay that way after Friday, if I'm going to guess. Yeah, no, I think it's going to be incredibly difficult uh, to get into Austin Stadium and come out with victory. Um, in the words of Lloyd Christmas, you're telling me there's a chance. Of course, there's always a chance. Um, you know, again, we've talked about the losing streak, and we'll uh, we'll obviously talk about it with Justin Myers here in a few minutes. But Oregon State hasn't won since 07 at Austin Stadium. But conversely, you can turn that around and say Oregon State hasn't really brought in a good team to Autzen mm-hmm. Stadium since 2009. 2011, that Oregon State team came in 3-8. and eight. 2013, that team came in 6-5. and five. Uh, 2015, that team was 1-1. One and, one and, no, 2-9 two and, two and nine going into that game. 2017, you were 1-10 going into that game. And then 2019, you were 5-6 going into that game. 2021, 7-10. Five, or seven and, seven and four. So it's marginally gotten better, but no question, TJ. Like, even strip everything else away, I'll say this. This is probably Oregon State's best team they've brought in there. And the difference is Oregon's had pretty great teams that whole stretch. Like, yeah. don't get me wrong, but, like, even in 19, you know, they have maybe not quite playoff contention at this point in the year. You'd have to go back to, like – Oh, goodness. They, they were eliminated by then because they lost to ASU yes. the week before. Yeah, so you'd have to go back to more like um, – yeah, more to or, like the early – 13? Yeah. So I think that – or yeah, even that Oregon team, I don't think they – yeah, you go back to like 11 when they were BCS yeah. after that game because I think that Oregon team in 13 went to like the Alamo Bowl, if I'm not mistaken, or something similar to that. But regardless, that that – that gives you hope. Anything can happen. You play a game, but I think, uh, and we'll get into it talking with Justin, I think like you and I talked about on your radio show, TJ, Oregon State's offense needs to have a cow-like performance to have a shot in this game. DJ needs to pull whatever he was drinking down in Berkeley, a little uh, Michael Jordan uh, secret stuff, so to speak. Um, and then Oregon State's defense has to play as good as they've played on the road all year. No biggie, Which right? Which is not a very high bar. Not like, a very high bar for how they play. Like, played. go to the um, – I'm trying to think what the best road performance probably was. It was Colorado, conference. but, like, Colorado, we've realized, is such just a train wreck now. I'm going to yes. have to say Arizona. But I don't think you yeah. and I would say they played great on defense versus Arizona. No, 
that was that was their fourth quarter collapse against Arizona right. on defense. So again, no biggie, right? TJ, play your best offense of the year again, and then play your best defense of the year. Got no it. pressure. Easy. They're going to have to do something yeah. they have literally not done this season yet to win at Austin. So it's going to be a, such a tall task. Could this TJ be? And before we break and get to Justin, could this be? Like, are, are, are we going to flash back to some black and white Notre Dame scenes and we're going to see Oregon State, you know, say, all right, guys, we're going to win one for Jonathan Smith on his way out the door. I mean, is that what Oregon State's like? Because that was my next question for you. All that that we just mentioned. And then, oh, our coach might not be here. Right. So, like, how do you handle all that, TJ? Oh, uh... I don't know. And I don't envy the people who have to deal no. with it. I guess it's our job to react to things, Brendan, not to uh, not to facilitate uh, barely end of season coaching moves. It's yeah, man, I, I, I don't know. I just hope they're focused. On, I, for their sake, I hope they're focused for this week because there are a lot of distractions flying around and they are going to yes. be facing what I think is the best team in this conference in the Oregon Ducks oh, yeah. on the road in a place they haven't won in 15 years if the task was not hard enough already. Right. And add in the fact, TJ, that um, I would be willing to bet that that university to the south of uh, Oregon State has been stewing for the last 11 months, 12 months. Yes, they have. The results of last year's uh, Civil War in Corvallis. And again, you know, sometimes playing angry is not playing smart, but I I would be willing to bet that Oregon's going to have some revenge in their hearts as they head out uh, onto Autzen Stadium this week. And, you know, I think back to a couple years ago, TJ, when Oregon, Oregon State down in Autzen ended with uh, the, you know, kind of fist fight and the brawl uh, to close out that game. And, you know, there's always a ton of emotions. There was going to be so many emotions with it being the final civil war potentially. And then everything else that TJ and I have talked about. So, Putting out the outside noise, I think it's a near impossibility. We're going to find out if Oregon State is anywhere close to adept at it this weekend. Uh, Friday, obviously, as they'll be taking on the Oregon Ducks. Uh, we'll be right back here on the Edge podcast. We're going to go ahead and take a break, and we're going to welcome back in Justin Myers, host of Rip City Mornings, to talk a little bit more about the Oregon Ducks. We're going to uh, talk a little uh, Bo Nix, kind of learn about the Oregon defense, TJ, which has really made some big strides this year. That defense that allowed you to run 16, 17, 18 straight times on them last year. They're, they're considerably better. better. Yeah, <laughs> they're considerably better. So there's going to be a lot to dive into. It's going to be great to get Justin's perspective. And TJ, I'm also curious to talk a little bit more with him about Jonathan Smith. We were talking about it this morning. That football scoop report hadn't came out, neither had uh, Scott Barnes's. Uh, quotes either so it's gonna be fascinating to hear from justin uh, about jonathan smith as we get his take as well so we'll go ahead and take a quick break we'll be right back here on the edge podcast welcoming you back to the edge podcast publisher brendan slaughter joined by beaver's edge writers tj matthewson and special guest drum roll please justin myers rip city mornings my partner in crime justin about time we finally had you on the podcast man long time no see how are you <laughs> i mean what it's been a couple of hours yeah i mean it is a pleasure to be on the Beaver's Edge podcast, I have been uh, campaigning to try to get on the podcast for weeks, months, some may say years. Uh, I've been asking you on our, our radio show every day, when are you going to let me on the podcast? Because, you know, the Oregon State, the Beaver believers, they love me. They do. They may they may pretend like they don't because we have to hold on to this bitter rivalry. But the Beaver believers love me and I can feel it. We're excited to talk to you, man. And, and let's 
Let's go ahead and jump right into a continuum we talked about this morning. I mean, the biggest news is we, you know, had our Wednesday radio show was obviously the, the news that Jonathan Smith talking with John Canzano on the radio on Tuesday. Uh, and then today, shortly after we get off the air, that's always how it seems to work, right? The news breaks right after we leave. Uh, Football Scoop says that Michigan State has identified Jonathan Smith as their top candidate. Oregon State then issues a statement saying, hey, we're, we're trying to you know get an extension on the table. How did all that read to you, Justin? And is your thoughts any different from this morning with that new information now? Now, it's kind of the same because, guys, I think this is par for the course, right? This is what happens, which, again – Welcome to successful football, right? That's there. There is, uh, we talk about it all the time. There is broken eggs to every omelet. You win games, you go to bowl games, you build a successful uh, program out of nothing. Guess what? Uh, the big money boys come poaching, and then you find out exactly kind of where you want to be. This is all, guys, par for the course. You know this. Like rumors start flying around. Coach makes a non denial denial. Um, right. Athletic director and uh, president throw out a, hey, we're, we're working on something here, and and we wait and see, right, to see who breaks, right? I saw, as, as an Oregon fan, I this whole thing happened a couple of years ago with the Crystal Ball, right? And it was happening right before Pac-12 championship game. The rumors were swirling that Miami was coming. All of a sudden, there was a whole, uh, Oregon's working on a new contract. Phil Knight was putting out numbers, and three days later, he was in a he was in a private right. airport giving a press conference via Zoom like we're doing for the Alamo Bowl, knowing well fully well he's not coaching the Alamo Bowl. He yep. was out. So it kind of makes it a little bit more real. But here's the thing that I find fascinating. And we talked about it again this morning. Can I plug a radio show a couple of yeah, times? Of course, of course. Uh, <laughs> but there's two wrinkles in this, right? Normally it's like, all right, coach has a job. Is this a better job? Is this more money? All that. But there's two huge wrinkles to this. One, Jonathan Smith's an alumni. He's may- maybe the, the greatest Oregon State football player ever when you think about like what he meant to the team. And sure. obviously there were better players, but like from player and coach entity in Oregon State football, it's tough to top him as, as number one. So there's that wrinkle. There's the alma mater. There's, you know, doing it for old state. And then there's the other wrinkle, which is there's no conference next year. I, there, there is a game that is going to be played the day after Thanksgiving. And then the PAC 12 is kaput. Yeah. There's a championship yep. game and there's a basketball season, but the PAC 12, as we know <laughs> it is kaput. So it's like, so where is Jonathan Smith's loyalty to his alma mater to the place that he rebuilt, the place that he, the fan base has kind of embraced him to come back, or that competitive edge and the money that's going to become flowing in at, at Michigan State. It is going to be fascinating. But as terms of, of the stuff we have seen today, this is all par for the course. This is kind of yeah. what actually happens. And I think the big question is how much money is Michigan State going to offer? Can Oregon State remain competitive? Because I don't think Jonathan Smith's going to require Oregon State to match the offer, but right. can they remain competitive? And I think the biggest question is, which is the big giant unknown in all of this, is can Oregon State and Washington State, in where their situation is going to be next year, compete at the top levels for national championships with an expanded college football playoff? And I think that's the right. question Jonathan Smith has to answer. Justin, there's also the the dynamic in this game, in this matchup on Friday, where, I mean, Jonathan Smith was being courted this week. Dan Lanning was getting courted last week. It's very rare with two, uh, I'd say, two Power Five programs that have been so successful and and this intense rivalry where now both sides, there's rumors flying on both yeah. sides. It's 
I I don't even know how to quantify it. It seemed like Dan squashed his a little bit more than Jonathan did yesterday, sure. which I'm going to say, I, I didn't think Jonathan did a good job of squashing it because he was very, it was, it was a little vague. It was, it was very, <laughs> his, his, it was a lot about his process and not a whole lot about, not of a, no assurances per se, which could be par for the course. But uh, I just think it's such a, it's so interesting that this game's going to have all this extra stuff around it as if this isn't already important enough. And given that they'll agree to something eventually down the road, but for now, the last civil war game they'll play in, in quite a while. And I, yeah, I, I don't even know how to think of that. I was curious what your thoughts of, uh, of that aspect of this game is. Well, going back to kind of what you were talking about with landing, right. Is unless you are going to do what he did, which is rare, which is, I'm never leaving, right? He, he pulled off the Wolf of Wall Street. I ain't <laughs> leaving. I'm not going. I'm not going anywhere because he has that ability right now. Oregon's going to the Big Ten. Oregon has a big money booster. We all we all know all the realities of the situation, and he seems to be incredibly happy in Eugene and doesn't seem to want for anything as a head coach, right? You need a recruiting budget, you got it. You need extra money for assistant coaches, you got it. Dan Lane doesn't want for right. anything outside of that. Guys, there's no good answer to the, hey, are you going to be here next year if you are a coveted coach, right? There's just no good answer to it. You could either lie and be like, of course I am. I'm not going anywhere. And then ultimately, maybe somebody throws a ridiculous amount of money at you and you go like, well, at that point I did. And at this point I didn't. And also then there's the other part, which is what Jonathan Smith, I think, tried to do yesterday. Didn't really land the plane, but I don't think he could crash the plane. You know, more of a, like a belly landing in terms of how he brought it home, which was, you know, I paid, look, I, 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 I'm paraphrasing, but it was almost like saying, yep. I got to listen. Like I got, like my yep. agent has to listen. It's his business. That's the whole reason he is employed is right. to be able to see what the options are out there. He gets the options to come in. I make my decision, but I, I have, I have no doubt that John Smith is just like Dan Landing is fully focused on this game. Obviously you mentioned all the weight of it. I mean, two coaches coveted by other schools, both teams in the top, what 16 right now in the college football playoff rankings man it's like they should play this game every year you know what i mean like, oh, <laughs> what a concept i know right uh, so I'm justin curious, from from the duck from... side how would you want this game structured in the future thinking of how the oregon athletic department you know wants home games and probably doesn't they don't need to travel to corvallis but if you're in duck shoes how would you structure mm-hmm. this rivalry going forward uh, a couple of things. Uh, first off, we all just have to like agree, right? It's never going to be the same, right? It's no. not going to be the same. No. It's it's going to be kind of nostalgia for nostalgia's sake. But there are some benefits if Oregon wanted to schedule this game, say in September. Much has been made, guys, of the ridiculous travel that college football teams are now going to have to do moving forward. You know, Oregon's closest game outside of Washington and UCLA. Oregon's closest game, I believe, is Nebraska. Uh, so it's not an easy flight. So to have an automatic every year in state, you, you hop on the bus, you get on 99, you head up to Corvallis on every other year. And to have this be a home and home, I think would be a benefit to kind of alleviate that travel. You keep this, the rivalry intact for the fan base, a goodwill gesture, I believe, to Oregon State. And I know all the, the Beaver believers listening to this go, yeah, take your goodwill gesture and stuff it, Myers. I get it. I know where the emotion is, but it, it would be something there for both teams to still kind of hold on to. And the other thing is, from an Oregon standpoint, now it's different from an Oregon State standpoint, but from an Oregon standpoint, 
like the thought process, why would you schedule a rivalry game and schedule a potential loss, right? Two of the last three of these games, Oregon has walked off a of Reese Stadium's turf as a loser. There have been plenty of, of games that I have seen as a fan of this series growing up where uh, Oregon State has crushed Oregon's dreams. That's not the case if you play it in September because there's going to be a 12-team playoff. You still right. win the Big Ten, you go to the playoffs, right? We have this mentality of you got to be 11-1, and 1, you got to be 12-0, and 0, you have to find a way to win all of these. You're not going to have to in the years moving forward. You're going to have to just find a way for Oregon to get into the Big Ten championship game, win it, even with three losses, you can get into the playoff. Right. Now, for Oregon State, I don't know if that's their reality. I think if you're Oregon State moving forward, you want to run this – what is being reported mountain West agreement deal, like this handshake deal. If you want to be the wild card, you want to be the Gonzaga of college football. You got to find a way to win all your games, I believe. And I don't know right. if it benefits Oregon state scheduling, but also there is a money factor here. It's, it's a big draw. You can sell the TV rights. You can sell the sponsorship of it. I don't know. Crazy thought. Maybe we bring the name back. I don't know. Maybe it's too soon. I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to bring that, bring that up, but. You know, there, there is a way to kind of market it and make some money. And we all know that at this point in time, nobody's going to turn down any extra money. I, I think it benefits yeah. both schools playing this game, but I don't know, again, if the emotions are going to allow that to happen. Yeah, no, for sure. Some great points there, Justin. And going back to uh, Coach Smith, I'm curious what your, your take is on this from this perspective. I saw this put out on social media, and I thought it was a very interesting point. Looking at both the last two coaches who left Oregon, and went to new situations. And then the fact that it was reported that, you know, two of the biggest pieces of information that Jonathan Smith's two biggest mentors gave him in Mike Riley and Dennis Erickson was their biggest regret was leaving Corvallis when they did. You look at Oregon's situation and what you've been a part of, you've seen coaches leave for what looks like maybe a greener pasture only to see it kind of blow up in their face. So I'm curious, is that something that Jonathan Smith needs to weigh and determine if – because the, the – and I've told you this this week. There are jobs that I see and go, yeah, that makes sense. Michigan State, it still just doesn't make sense to me from that perspective of like I'm going to leave this perfect situation I have at an alumni school, as you mentioned, all those things, for – a school that would never be what more than fifth or sixth in the big 10 packing order. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know where TJ is from, Brendan. I know you and I are both native Oregonians. We grew up in this state. We grew up in this part of the country and we are a patient group when it comes to college <laughs> football. We, we, we still expect, you know, progress, but we are a fairly patient group of people. And you look at the history. Let's let's just go real quick, brief history on Oregon and Oregon State coaches who have left. All right, 1998 happens. Mike Riley leaves the first time, goes to San Diego Chargers, drafts Ryan Leaf. How'd that turn out? NFL, <laughs> shoot him up, spit him out. Dennis Erickson comes in, has the highest heights of any coach at Oregon State ever, decides, no, nah, I'm going to try the 49ers again. Yep, didn't work. Shoot him up, spit him out. Went to Idaho, went to Arizona State. Had some success at Arizona State, but nothing like it was at yeah. Oregon State. Nothing no. like the Fiesta Bowl. And Arizona State chewed him up, spit him out. Never reached the heights he got in Corvallis. Um, Mike Riley comes back, decides to go to Nebraska. We all know what happened at Nebraska. 
Yeah. Well, we don't talk about Gary Anderson. And so then it brings <laughs> you to John Smith, right? So then we look at Oregon, right? Bellotti retires, Chip Kelly comes in, wins four, uh, goes to four BCS bowl games. I'm going to go to the NFL, gets fired twice. Now he goes to UCLA, may have saved his job, but on the verge of getting fired three times. Then Mark Helfrich comes in, Oregon fires him, and goes to the Chicago Bears. He gets fired. Never had the success because he still coached the national title game. A lot of people forget that. He also lost the Civil War two years later, which got him fired, but – He's still coaching yeah. the national title game, and Chicago Bears chewed him up, spit him out. He hasn't coached yet. You got Willie Taggart. He got fired twice since he's left. Got fired at yep. Florida State. Got fired at Florida Atlantic. Then you've had Mario Cristobal, who has not had anywhere close to the success that he had at Oregon, that he's having at Miami, even in his first two years. Now, all right. of those coaches have what in common? Their biggest successes we're here in the state of Oregon and we're coaching for both, for both Oregon and Oregon state. And I think part of that is because as fans, we have a unique culture in our little state here, which is we are not apathetic. We do not not care, but we're also not crazy. We're not win a national championship every year. You go to Michigan state, you go to Miami, you go to Florida state, you go to the NFL, you don't win right away. Guess what? They chew you up and they spit you out and they don't care where you're from. People in Corvallis care about Jonathan Smith. They will always have the win against Notre Dame and the Fiesta Bowl victory of 2000, sure. and it will always be talked about. And that patience level, he will not have at Michigan State or anywhere else if he decides to leave. He will have maybe more money, though. <laughs> it's a good point, you know, It's and, and that's really it. Is I think that's going to be one of the things he has to weigh. You know, somebody who has kind of, you know, talked a lot about, you know, how much he loves Corvallis and how much, you know, being home was important to him. And that's where TJ and I talked about. We think that the university has to immediately come out with, you know, new contracts, more assistant coaches, salary pool, just more things to show that you are committed to him despite this uncertain future that we've talked about. So I think that's going to be fascinating. And uh, we'll lead into this next question, Justin. How, because you remember Oregon, when they were dealing with that cloud of like knowing Mario Cristobal was leaving TJ and I kind of talked about it. If you're Oregon state right now, have you had just like a player? What do you believe and how do you, what is your mindset going into this game? Knowing that you've heard all this about the conference, you know, you had an emotional game against Washington that was right there. And then you, you know, start this rivalry week and before rivalry week even really kicks off, it's, Oh, Hey, you know, Jonathan Smith is a finalist from Michigan. Excuse me. Yeah, I mean, I think kids get over stuff real fast. I really do. I think us, we obsess on it because we live in this world, right? We're <laughs> we're doing it. We're doom scrolling on Twitter, right? We're fired up about like what's going on. Does Michigan State release anything? Is and I think players, especially like you mentioned that game against Washington. I've always been envious of players from this perspective. After a game, guess what? They go to the locker room. They take a shower, they change their clothes, get up, and they go to practice the next day because they don't have anything else to do but go to work the next right. day and try to figure it out. And whereas us, we got to go to work on Monday morning, and you and I, <laughs> we got to talk about it. Um, fans got to stew in it and just kind of you, – you don't kind of get that moving on, moving forward until like Friday or Saturday of the next week. So I think players are much more yeah. resilient than maybe we think sure there's always going to be distractions and there's always going to be a hangover but you know i'll go back two years ago oregon loses to utah the miami rumors were swirling around mario cristobal 
They still look pretty good in that Civil War game at Austin Stadium. Sure. They still got out of there with a win and earned themselves a spot in the Pac-12 title game. Now, they look like trash in the Pac-12 title game because Cristobal <laughs> was one foot out the door. And I think the other thing I would be – I wouldn't be concerned about, but more than the players, it's the assistant coaches because mm. if there is a coach that is potentially leaving, it's like, am I leaving? Am I going up? Am I going down? Am I going with? Is there going to be a new coach coming sure. in? How much work are the assistant coaches doing? But look, it's Civil War week. Um, these coaches still know that playing spoiler and and getting to that, what, it would be the ninth win of the season, getting that ninth win of the year, all that stuff. Now it would be the eighth win of the year. Sorry, my bad. Um, no, it'd be nine. It'd be, it'd be nine. Yeah, it'd be nine. nine all right. Yeah. In my head, it was all. So getting that, ninth, <laughs> yeah. getting that ninth win of the season, then with the potential bowl win, a tenth win for the season. But they all have incentives in their contracts too. So I think the assistant coaches maybe, but the players, I think they're pretty resilient. Yeah. Now, after that, that's when it's probably going to get really weird. It's going to be an awkward Christmas, I think, for some <laughs> players with the portal opening up, coaching yeah. limbo, bowl game coming up. Like, it's going to be pretty weird. Yeah. So, Justin, let's get into that game. Uh, as you me- you mentioned that football game, we, ha- we haven't even gotten a touch on it yet. A-, a very important one, and you know, Oregon coming off that crushing loss last season after blowing the twenty uh, the twenty one point second half lead. So, just a general overview of Friday's game. Like, what are you looking at? What are the important points of where this game is going to be won and lost? Uh, like anything else, it's in the trenches, right? It's and what's kind of nuts, right? I mentioned kind of growing up in the state of Oregon where you know, offensive football out West has been kind of what we do. And it's the big 10 and the sec that win in the trenches, Oregon, Oregon state win in the trenches. They Oregon right. state's got the, one of the best offensive lines in the conference. Oregon's offensive line has been playing incredibly well. We know what Oregon's defensive line is capable of just ask Shadur Sanders, how that game felt at Austin stadium a couple of weeks ago. And, and I think this game is going to be one in the trenches from Oregon State standpoint, can they establish the run? If Damian Martinez gets going, if they shorten up the game and shorten up, you know, and shorten up uh, abilities for Oregon to uh, to get big strikes, that's going to be a total advantage. For Oregon, it's the opposite. Can you keep Bo Nix upright? Because right now, and now I am massively biased. We may talk about this in a bit, but when Bo Nix is not pressured, he's the best quarterback in America. I, I firmly believe that. Again, I'm biased, but when he is not pressured, when he has all sorts of time back there, he has been carving up everybody, including Washington in that loss. So I think that's going to be the key is who's going to win in the trenches. And I think Oregon has been playing really well up front, both the offensive and defensive line. And I think that's going to be the other case. Can, Can Oregon stop Damian Martinez, Fenwick, and even DJU for uh, for a bit, can they stop the running game and get them off the field on third down? And I think on the opposite, it's going to be, can Oregon State get to Bo Nix? Can they pressure Bo Nix and kind of put some pressure on him to maybe make some faster decisions that he's been having to make these last five weeks where he's been just carving teams up? Yeah. Is there a weakness on this Oregon roster? Like, I'm trying to look at it, and I'm looking up and down. I'm like, like this is one of the most complete teams in America. If you were to pick something that – they could struggle at what would it be two things uh field goals uh they obviously they missed a field goal pretty big field goal against washington uh they they couldn't get the snap off of the field goal against arizona state they missed a field goal against usc so field goal kicking has been a, and then guys let's just call it what it is is dan Lanning going to lose his mind on fourth down at some yeah. point in one of these games that's their biggest weakness i like 
Troy Franklin's one of the best wide receivers in the country. Bucky Irving's one of the best running backs in the country. Their back, yep. their defensive backfield uh, through the transfer portal is is elite level. The only thing that gets in Oregon's way, and you saw it against Washington, is either some special teams issues with field goals, and when they decide to get a little too aggressive and when they go for it on fourth down, that's that's Oregon's weakness. And you know, and like anything else in rivalry games, right? It's going to be turnovers, and if if Oregon eliminates the turnover battle, I think they're going to be pretty comfortable in this game, but that's the weakness. It's fourth down decisions by the head coach and potentially you need a winning field goal. I don't know of a lot of Oregon fans that would feel very comfortable with that. <laughs> Let me ask you this, Justin, as a, as a uh, self-described Oregon Homer that, that uh, you say that you are heading into this game, what makes you nervous about Oregon state? Because the one thing I have seen on social media is it seems like, you know, duck Twitter, which you and I talk about a little bit, kind of feels like this is a shoe-in game. So, again, Oregon is a 14-point favorite at this point. TJ and I have talked about it. We probably like them to win this game, too. It's probably what we're going to be, what we ultimately pick. But what makes you nervous about Oregon State or this matchup with so much on the line? Guys, I'm old, and I've seen too many of these games, all right? I've seen too many of these. Now it's a Friday this year, which I hate, but we don't have time to talk about that. But I've seen too many of these Civil War games where one team, especially Oregon, comes in, couple touchdown favorite, has got the advantage of every spot on the field and walks off a loser. I've seen it, seen it with my own two eyes. I've lived it in this rivalry, and that's what makes me nervous is that they say you throw out the records, right? It's an old cliche. You throw out the records. You know, they never say that in the Oregon Washington game, right? That's never <laughs> been a thing, right? Washington, when they stunk, Oregon beat them every single time. When Oregon yep. stunk, Washington beat them every single time, put up 70 points, tried to get it all yep. back in one year. When Oregon and Oregon State play each other, you throw out the records because I can go back to plenty of years where Oregon has had better talent and they couldn't get off the field because this rivalry game just brings that. I mean, I, I don't have to, I, again, we can go back to 2007 uh, mm. when they couldn't get a field goal off at, at Austin Stadium. The last time the Beavers walked right. off again, you go back to last year, Oregon was absolutely rolling. Oregon State couldn't throw a forward pass last year and just decided ho hum yeah. we're gonna run it 17 straight times right down your throat like that kind of stuff makes me nervous um i go back <laughs> i mean the 2000 game right where oregon had joey harrington and was just one win away from getting back to the rose bowl and got absolutely punched in the mouth when he threw five interceptions and then lost a fumble as well i go back to 1998 when they went to double overtime and we all learned who Ken right. Simonton was like this. I've, I've lived this boys. All right. I've lived this rivalry <laughs> my entire life to know. Right. And I'll take it back to one last one, 1994. Uh, Brendan was not on this earth yet. TJ, I don't know nope. if you were on this nope. earth yet. Nope. Uh, <laughs> I, I was on this earth. All right. Oregon in 1994. Remember Kenny Wheaton, the pick They beat Washington. They are one win away from the Rose bowl. Oregon state stunk that year. They were terrible. They were one year away from firing their head coach and Jerry Pettibone. Most of your listeners to this podcast probably know exactly what I'm talking about. That was a one possession game. Oregon yeah. needed a last second screen pass touchdown to Dino Filia in the fourth quarter because they were down. Oregon was down in the fourth quarter with about three, four minutes to go with the Rose Bowl on the line. 
at then Parker Stadium and an Oregon State team that had no business playing with a team like Oregon who was ranked and on their way to the Rose Bowl. That's what makes me nervous is that this game, there is something magical and mystical that just kind of hangs over this game, which again, I will try not to, uh, you know, keep bringing this point up is why it's a tragedy that it is ending the way it is right now as a rivalry. We can play in September all we want, but it's not the same as it's going to be on Friday. It's a tragedy that's ending. No, I couldn't agree more. And just a couple final things before we let you go. Uh, Justin Myers, Rip City Mornings, joining us here on the uh, Edge podcast. Justin, you mentioned Bo Nix. Is he your pick for the Heisman right now? And just how has he been able to, you know, you talk about the, the offensive coordinator change with Kenny Dillingham getting hired at Arizona State this offseason. They bring in Will Stein. How has Bo just been able to take his game to an even higher level than we saw last year? A couple things. Uh, 57 college football starts. Uh, we'll, we'll do that for you, right? You hear that a lot from NFL guys, like NFL quarterbacks. They're like, the coordinator doesn't matter. It's all kind of the same stuff. They just use different terminology. Sophomore in college, yeah, that's going to be a big deal. Your offensive coordinator leaves. Super senior, like Bo Nix, who has not only been a super senior, but started from day sure. one and has been nothing but a college football starter, barring injury. Like, different coordinator it's all kind of the same stuff and plus uh if you listen to landing and you listen to stein they say he's kind of a coordinator on the field he knows the offense they hired the coordinator to kind of uh to kind of you know enhance bo nix's ability so there's that um to answer that one part here's the other part this is going to be my heisman bid first off all full disclosure I have a financial interest in Bo Nix winning the Heisman. I may have made a wager in Las Vegas in July, which would be the greatest bet of my entire life. I might. He is quit. telling reti- the truth, folks. He's I telling the reti- truth, folks. I might retire from gambling if I pull this one off. <laughs> but there's three things to a Heisman trophy, I believe. There's three things. There is team success, there is statistical success, and there is narrative. So team success – Oregon wins this game against Oregon State. They beat Washington. They're likely into the college football playoff. Boom, there's team success. Statistical success, Jaden Daniels, the only quarterback in the country that's even on par with Bo Nix and uh, and Michael Penix. And even Michael Penix isn't quite there in the same realm as he's throwing 78% completion percentage with two interceptions on the season and a mess of touchdowns. So statistical. And then there's the narrative, right? chewed up and spit out and left for dead by not only his first choice, but his legacy, right? He went to Auburn as a kid whose dad played quarterback at Auburn. He grew up, he was the Mr. Football of Alabama. He was Mm. always going to be an Auburn Tiger. And that fan base chewed him up and spit him out only to go out West to the, you know, the flashy uniforms of Oregon to not only rehash his career, he's going to be an NFL quarterback. He might be a second, first round pick. Who knows? narrative he wins statistics i think he's tied team success we'll see but those are the three things and that's why i think he wins the Heisman. justin kind of last thing i got for you right now as we sit here recording this podcast uh, on a wednesday is jonathan smith oregon state's coach when you and i return to rip city radio on monday morning Oh, that's a really good question. That is solid, not the best in the uh, not the best in the league for nothing, Brendan. Um, <laughs> I would probably, um, if you asked me, I'd go a little Morgan Wallen F one fifty fifty right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yep, on, yep. on where he is. I would get. 
I, I would lean slightly. I would say yes. I believe he's Oregon State's head coach next season. But I think it's close. I think it's going to yeah. be tight. I think he's he. You got to listen to the offers. You got to know what's out there. You got to know your worth. Um, I don't know where Wash or where Oregon State's going to be able to come in financially. What they can match with? Can they potentially exactly. match with other things? Can they match with maybe kicking some financial stuff down the road and hoping that this lawsuit that they won and this two hundred million dollars right. that's coming coming in might help? Sure. Could they maybe put him on credit and hope these sticks around? <laughs> But yeah, if you were to ask me right now, gut feeling, I, I think he's the beast coach next year. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating because I, I think there's so many things that are going to be at play. I mean, not only do we have a holiday tomorrow, Justin, and then as you mentioned, no time to get into it, but last gripe because you and I won't get a chance to talk. Still hate the game being on Friday too. I'm right there with you. I wish this was Terrible. a. Uh, I wish this was a uh, a Saturday game. But you'll be down there. I'll be down there. TJ will be down there. Uh, it's going to be cold on Friday night. Uh, make sure to bundle up uh, there if you're uh, heading down to Autumn Stadium. But figures to be a emotional matchup, as Justin mentioned. A always a uh, interesting time when those two teams take the field, and uh, it's going to be a, a a fantastic atmosphere down there at Autumn Stadium and. We're looking forward to bringing you coverage at beaversedge.com. Big shout out to Justin Myers for uh, joining us on the Edge podcast. Glad we got you on, Justin. Enjoy your turkey day, man. And yeah. who knows? Maybe our paths will cross in Eugene on Friday. We'll <laughs> who see. knows? Potentially. And a happy Thanksgiving to all of you. Real quick, though, not to uh, to hijack your podcast here. Uh, TJ, you know this this dude does Cornish game hens on Thanksgiving? You realize that the slaughter? No, I had no idea. Does, they do Cornish game hens. So he said Happy Turkey Day, but he doesn't mean it. He means this Happy Cornish. Brendan's Cornish a hypocrite. What? Day. Hey, they're they're cooking downstairs, man. They're rolling. They're already they're they're they're, they're marinating and getting to be where they need to be, man. But no, Justin, Justin is true. It is a factual statement. There will be no turkey consumed in the Brendan household tomorrow. At least, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a uh, an entertaining. Uh, way that we handle thanksgiving but uh again big shout out to justin Myers for uh joining us in this edition of the edge podcast have a good uh, rest of your week man uh enjoy the game on friday and we'll uh, we'll see if we uh, link up down there and a uh, big shout out to uh, tj matthewson for joining me as always tj i'll see you down there as well my friend have a good rest of your week and for everyone uh thanks for tuning in to this edition of the edge podcast